0: Section thirty of the Life of Mozart Volume one by Otto Yan. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. This recording is by Suzique. The Life of Mozart by Otto Yan. Section thirty, chapter thirteen, part four. These give the groundwork for the whole movement elaborated in various forms of counterpoint, and bound together by other freely treated episodical subjects. The doxology is again independently treated in two movements. The first is slow and is animated by a varied accompaniment. The second is a lively and conventional fugue. Among other minor church pieces, we may consider the Regina Celli. Two of these works belonging to May 1771 and 1772, 108, and 127K are of similar plan and treatment. The first line is made into an animated chorus, with the constantly recurring Alleluia as a refrain. The second is more moderate in tone, a soprano solo alternating with the chorus. The Ora pro nobis is an adagio for the solo soprano. The chorus chimes in at the close with the Alleluia. The character of the whole is lively and cheerful, almost merry, according to the prevailing tendency of the age full opportunities for display are given to the solo voice and many of the turns and passages are operatic the earlier of the two compositions in c major reminds us more of the opera seria; the latter in b flat major is freer and both voices and accompaniment have more independent life a third Regina celli evidently of later date 276 k in c major combines the whole into a lively movement in which the solo voices interrupt the chorus The claims of the vocalist are here kept in abeyance, and the work is full of life and energy, with here and there passages of a deeper significance, such as the beautiful Ora pro nobis. A tantum ergo in B flat major, 142k, for solo soprano, with a resounding phrase for the chorus, closing with a lively amen, is not remarkable. A second composition in D major, 197k, for full chorus, if by Mozart at all, must have been written very hurriedly. A motet in C major, 117K, must, according to the handwriting, be ascribed to a very early date. A lively chorus, Benedictus sit Deus, without actual thematic elaboration but with a free arrangement of the parts, forms the introduction to a soprano air, introibo domun tuam domine, treated like a cavatina, simply, although not altogether without embellishment. The conclusion is formed by a second lively chorus, jubilate Deo, of which the second subject is the eighth psalm tone, supported by four parts of the chorus in succession to a florid accompaniment of the orchestra, the full chorus each time responding with a lively jubilate. An offertorium of uncertain date, Benedicte Angeli, 342k, is exclusively founded on the fifth psalm tone. The verse is repeated in unison eight times by the whole chorus, while the orchestra, consisting of stringed instruments with two horns, keeps the whole together and gives it intensified expression by means of a lively and varied accompaniment. Some smaller choral works are some of them harmonic, some in more or less strict counterpoint. To the former belongs the De Profundis, ninety three K, in which the words of Psalm one twenty nine and the appended doxology are set to music without abridgment, with little more rhythmical flow than the declamation of the words demands, and in the simplest harmonic progressions. A symmetrical work, quiet and serious, though without great depth of tone, is formed out of these very simple materials. The Te Deum, one forty one K, resembles in its first movements many of the shorter masses. The words are sung once without a developed theme or well defined passage. The essential character of the work is modulatory, the connection depending on the arrangement of the harmonies and the harmonic groups. The voices merely sustain the harmonies without any prominent melodic peculiarities. The conclusion forms an exception, the words in te domine speravi non confundar in eternum being worked into a conventional, moderately long fugue, issuing into a powerful and effective closing phrase a motet misericordias domini two twenty two k which mozart composed at munich in seventeen seventy five as an exercise is in counterpoint throughout padre martini to whom he sent it september seventeen seventy six pronounced as his judgment on it that it contained all which modern music demands good harmonies rich modulations moderation in the violin passages a natural and good arrangement of the parts and he added that he congratulated the composer on the progress he had made it was not without intention that the representative of counterpoint on the principles of the old roman school emphasised modern music the buon gusto of which did not altogether content him mozart divided the sentence miseracordias domini quintabo in eternum, psalm eighty eight the first words miseracordias domini are delivered in slow notes The second half in an agitated fugal passage without change of tempo moderato the two alternate and are developed with much originality especially the first movement where long sustained notes for the voice serve as an organ point against a passage for the violins and give rise to striking harmonic transitions and progressions the counterpoint of the second part is artistic and elaborate besides the principal subject of the fugue there are two others leading out of it treated in part independently, in part in combination with the principal subject of each other. The episodes are in strict counterpoint. The subject, as Stadler remarked, is borrowed from an offertory by Eberlin, Benedikt Domini, but Mozart's treatment, as a glance at the opening will show, is thoroughly original. This admirable work has been overrated by Ula Bikeff, but very unfairly criticized by Thibault. He says... The words are capable of division into two short sections Miseracordias Domini, the mercy of the Lord, cantabo in eternum, I will sing forever, but the division is not a real one, for there can be only one fundamental idea, either miseracordia domini or cantabo in eternum. If the former, then the cantabo should be subordinate, if the latter, the miseracordias should be included in the exaltation mozart has so far given way to the love of the picturesque to which handel also made many sacrifices that the misericordias is to be sung softly but the cantabe in aeternum energetically and in a lively fugued passage when the last motif has been worked out the grave is repeated and then again the fugue it is evident that the law by which thoughts are expressed in speech does not altogether apply to musical expression but that with the introduction of a new element new rules are imposed since the words intelligently interpreted give the keynote to the whole conception, it is the musician's task to embody the sentiments inspired by them in such forms as he has at his disposal. The necessity for avoiding contradictions or inconsistencies is no barrier, but rather an incentive to his creative energy. But a contradiction may arise not only from a misconception of ideas, but from the undue prominence of some one point which, detached from the context, injures the effect of the whole. This would be the case here if as thibault seems to indicate the idea of the mercy of god and that of the praise offered to it were treated in absolute opposition and mechanical alternation one with the other but this is not so the motifs given to the words cantabo in eternum," both in themselves and in the working out express nothing but firm conviction and desire to act upon that conviction we seem to view the spiritual condition of a human being who in spite of adverse fate and sorrowful experiences, is never weary of praising the Lord. The cantabo is placed just as Thibaut demands that it should be, as a contrast to the miseracordias domini, and the contrast is so harmoniously expressed and so consistently sustained as in no way to injure the musical effect of the work as a whole. A very interesting composition, belonging to the year 1776, is the Offertorium de Venerabili, 260k. Venite populi for two choruses, scored in eight parts. It is imitative throughout, less strict in form than usual. The voices seem to take actual delight in their free movement. The two choruses and the separate parts are clearly divided while maintaining natural relations with each other, and the whole work is sharply cut and characteristic both in harmonies and in rhythm. The principal movement is divided in the middle by a short, slow movement, having the same motif but in different combinations. A Sancta Maria Mater Dei, 273k, for chorus, composed in September 1777, and an Alma Redemptoris Mata, 277k, for solo and chorus, of about the same date, judging by the style, are very differently conceived. They are simple in design and in treatment, quiet and mild in expression. Delicate lights and shades betray the hand of a master conscious of his power and stir the feelings and satisfy the sense of beauty of his hearers. Equal genius is displayed in the selection of simple means and the ease with which the right effect is given at the right moment. And every now and then a delicate harmonic inflection or a charming little motif in the accompaniment leaves us in no doubt as to Mozart's individuality the survey we have taken of mozart's church music will give some idea of the industry with which he strove to master the various forms of his art as well as the ease and fertility of his production and the truth of his artistic feeling remembering his activity in operatic music we are amazed at the wealth of his many-sided genius but the unceasing exercise of all his musical powers serves to explain in part the marvellous acquaintance with all the technicalities and forms of his art which not even the possession of great genius can account for in so youthful a composer external circumstances influence not only the conception and treatment of church music but the means and disposal for its performance mozart's chief dependence in salzburg was on the chorus and is shown in a letter november fourth seventeen seventy seven where he says that none of his masses can be performed at mannheim because the chorus was bad and the orchestra must be the first consideration this is confirmed by the works themselves of which the choruses are always the main substance mozart found his materials ready to hand in the carefully instructed church singers and chapel choir he had himself received vocal training even as a boy the correct delivery and good management of his voice excited astonishment and though he lost his voice on attaining manhood his intercourse with trained singers gave him an accurate knowledge of the voice and its treatment careful as mozart is to arrange each part easily and conveniently for performance yet he always reckons on well-trained singers and even exacts from the choristers where occasion requires not a little skill in taking intervals and in execution and intonation Above all, he demands the intelligent delivery of a singer who knows how much depends upon it. The treatment of the solo voices as regards execution does not differ in church and operatic music. Frau Haydn and Meissner, Marie Anna Braunhofer, and Jos Spitzayder had received good practical training, but they were not such remarkable performers as to call forth new or original creations. When the solo voices are not treated, with a view to executive display, they are all together in the style of chorus parts. The organ, as the instrument appropriate to the church, invariably accompanies the singing, so that in all Mozart's church compositions, the bass part is figured carefully, sometimes by his father's hand, and it is sometimes but rarely employed obbligato, as in the Benedictus 259K, and then treated in easy style. Next to the organ come three trombones essentially the support of the chorus played in virtue of his office by the stadhurmermeister and two of his subordinates following ancient tradition they sounded in the tutti in unison with the three lower voices of the chorus the trombones were generally left unindicated in the score and only the places marked where they were to be silent this curious prominence of the brass instruments whereby the soprano part is left unrepresented was usual at the time and could not be dispensed with in the church. Trombones are seldom used independently by Mozart and then in the simplest manner. The stringed instruments served as independent orchestra and were generally only two violins and violoncello. The tenors strengthened the violoncello and went with the organ bass. The stringed instruments were strengthened as far as possible and treated so as to counteract the disadvantage they were at in contrast with the chorus trombones and organ when the violins are not with the voices the passages are disposed so as to have the best effect and they frequently play in unison this explains the partiality for running passages for the violins which are not expressive in themselves but serve to amplify the rest it was a higher task to give the violins a character really independent of the chorus To make them carry out their own motif either in one part only in opposition to the chorus or in joint development in almost all mozart's masses the effort is visible at any rate in some places to treat the stringed instruments independently as his artistic sense matured they were used more freely and with more careful reference to sound effects as a variation in later works the damper was sometimes employed and more rarely the pizzicato Besides stringed instruments, trumpets and drums were generally used, being almost indispensable for solemn high masses. The constant use of trumpets, as of trombones was founded on the Bible, which speaks of their employment in the Jewish temple worship, and also careful and highly elaborated trumpet music played so considerable a part in court festivities that it could not well be dispensed with in church ceremonials. In two masses, 139-167-K. Mozart has employed, in addition to the two usual trumpets called clarini, a tromba, which has only to sound the low notes C and G and to strengthen the drums. As regards other wind instruments, we know that in 1757, oboes and German flutes were seldom heard in the cathedral, and the French horn never. This severity was afterwards relaxed, until the oboe was used alone or as the principal wind instrument, generally to support the voice or to strengthen the harmony. It was allowed to assert its own individuality at a later time, but this could only be when it retained its proper place among the different combined wind instruments. Flutes were only rarely used to replace the oboe in soft passages. There were no clarinets in Salzburg. Bassoons served, as a rule, only to strengthen the bass. In various places where they, like the violoncello, were treated with some degree of independence it was so indicated in the score. Also when the tenors were associated with the wind instruments to complete the harmony they were supported by the bassoons. The horns at first closely followed the trumpets, but gradually attempts were made by the use of sustained notes to produce the sound effects peculiar to this instrument. The freer treatment of the wind instruments passed to the church from the opera, and those pieces, which were altogether more freely treated than masses, prepared the way for the change. The orchestra of Mozart's last two litanies is just as elaborate and careful as that of his operas, and the later one does not only employ obligato solo instruments, but in many of its sections approaches modern instrumentation. We are unfortunately in considerable ignorance as to what masters were studied by Mozart. What has usually been said of his diligent study of Bach handel and the italian masters is neither demonstrable nor probable there would scarcely be much opportunity at salzburg for the study of any but salzburg or south german musicians it is well known that some of these such as eberlin michael haydn and aldgasser were earnestly studied and highly esteemed by mozart but he first became acquainted with sebastian bach through van Swieten in vienna although he may have come across detached organ and pianoforte compositions in salzburg he heard handel's oratorios as a boy in london but that was all and even at manheim he took no great interest in the messiah it was again van swieten who led him to this master we may grant a stronger influence to the italian masters although the older italian church music was only exceptionally used at salzburg leopold mozart speaks of a gradual with which he had been much pleased as being the work of the celebrated long since deceased lotti november thirteenth seventeen seventy seven but we have seen with what zeal mozart studied in italy and a youth with his genius learned rapidly and could at once apprehend and retain whatever would be likely to benefit him he must also have taken home with him from italy much material for future use as we have seen in the case of the compositions of Padre Martini. But what direction these studies took, and how far they extended, we are not informed. It is not probable that Mozart studied the old masters with the intention of forming his own style on theirs, but rather that he might gain that super-practice in technicalities which the tasks before him required. End of section 30, chapter 13, part 4.